Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. I know that we went to Hoosier One about a month ago, but listen, Hoosier One doesn't stop. We want to keep seeing more and more names come to faith in Jesus Christ. So on the back of your chairs, if you never got a prayer guide, there should be a prayer guide, or you can go to the the website or the church app and you see Hoosier One. And listen, what I've done with my prayer guide, I've just started back over. You know what I'm going to do next uh, August 1st? I'm just going to start over praying for my ones to come to know Jesus Christ. Hey, we're in a uh, sermon series during July, and so each pastor has been able to preach whatever they've wanted to preach. Whatever the Lord's shared with them, they get to share with the congregation. So the name of my sermon this morning is, what? With. <laughs> Somebody said Psalms. I was like, what? No, no. The name of my sermon is With. Now you're thinking, man, Scott, it must be tired. There's no creativity whatsoever that's left. He's just worn out. But no, I could have called it alongside of, or I could have called it yeah, a companion, but I think with really fits better than, than anything else. Um, you think about with. With can make things better. Cake with coffee. Cake with ice cream. Cake really doesn't need anything, but, cake, but it can be better. Country fried steak with gravy. Anything with gravy is great. So, so with is great. Um, with also can denote um, intimacy or a relationship or, or companionship. You go through a difficult time, you want somebody that's going to be with you. That there's solidarity there, that, that there's no abandoning, that, that you know that you're not alone. You want somebody to be with you. The, the importance of with, this idea of with, this principle of with, sort of jumped out at me several years ago. I'm reading through the Gospel of John. I'm, I'm in John chapter 2, and I, it just jumps out at me. And then I was asked to share with some churches in the area about discipleship, and it was the first time I ever shared this principle of, of with. So they asked me this question. They said, will you share your thoughts on discipleship? And so I did. And so I started out with some nuts and bolts about the role of Scripture, the role of Holy Spirit, the role of prayer, the role of sharing spiritual disciplines and, and those things and, you know, one thing or another. Well, then I said, but I've got to share with you something that I feel like the Lord has really shared with me. And it comes out of John chapter 2. So let me just sort of set John chapter 2 up. John chapter 2 has uh, two big scenes in it. First, you've got this, this wedding at Cana in Galilee. And then you've got, the, you've got Jesus clearing out the temple with a whip. Two, two huge scenes. Two, I mean, you couldn't have a greater contrast. You've got a celebration over here. Moms and dads and in-laws and family and the whole community celebrating. And then you've got... The disciples probably just bewildered. What, what's got into Jesus? He just made a whip, and he's cleaning out the temple, and he's turning over tables. So let's go back to John chapter 2 for a second, uh, the, the wedding. Here you got a celebration. And we're probably at the reception here. That, you know, people are dancing. People are celebrating. Mom comes to Jesus, and apparently mom's in charge of all the catering and all the food and the wine. And she says, hey, 
they're out of wine. And he goes, dear lady, why'd you come to me with this? My time has not yet come. This is not, not here. You know what? And you know what she says? Do whatever he says. <laughs> That's a mama for you. <laughs> but she said, do, do whatever he tells you to the servants. And we know the story. Why everybody over here is doing the electric slide? Jesus is over here. He's, he's turning water into wine. And then it says this. It says that He revealed His glory. He manifested His glory. And the disciples put their trust in Him. So you got this huge scene. And then the next scene is they're at the temple they show up, and Jesus, hey, you, this is not a place of prayer. This is, this is my father's house, and you've turned it into this den. This is a, it's a marketplace, and all you, all you care about is making money. And so, can you imagine what's going through the, the disciples' mind? I mean, Jesus is sitting over here. He's, just, he's making a whip. You know they got questions. Who's this whip for? What's he going to do with this whip? Or maybe saying, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to clean house. You know? All of a sudden, man, he's turning over all this, and he says, you know what, you've turned this place uh, into a, a market, and they said, you know, hey, destroy this temple, and, and I'll bring it back in three days. They thought he was talking about the building, he was talking about his body, just, just a huge scene. But right there between these two huge scenes is this one verse. It says, after the wedding... He went to Capernaum for a few days with his mothers, his brothers, and his disciples. Huge. Huge. Turned water into wine. Manifested his glory. Revealed his glory. Disciples put their trust in him. Cleans house. Cleans out the temple with, with all the, the money changers and all of that. And there's this little obscure verse that says that Jesus, with his mothers and brothers and his disciples went to Capernaum for a few days. It almost reads like this. You know what? Uh, they went to North Georgia for the weekend. Just a very obscure verse. I, that, that verse jumped out at me. It, I, almost, I went back because I read through it so fast. I went, wait a second, what did I just read? That after the wedding, they went to Capernaum for, for a few days, just Jesus with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Like there, there was no mention of teaching. There was no mention of ministry. There was no mention of feeding 5,000, 4,000, 10,000, nobody. It was just with his mothers and his brothers and his disciples. Well, it was so obscure that I, I started doing research on the verse. And what I found out is some people didn't even include it. Some commentators, when they were going through the Gospel of John, they, they would talk about the wedding in the Cana, and they would talk about the temple clearing, and they didn't even mention this verse. And then some, all they did was talk about how Capernaum was about 15 miles away, about a day's walk, apparently with no hills. 15 miles in a day. And then, of course, there were some guys who just liked to write and write and write and write and write, but all they could talk about was how basically Jesus was taking care of his mom, dropping his mom off. Huge scene. Huge scene. Small little tiny verse. Apparently, the Holy Spirit wanted included in this Gospel of John. Where no teaching happened, no ministry happened. It seems like the only thing that really happened, they just were with each other. 
Can you imagine what happened there? Now, I guarantee you, disciples, as they started walking, hey, you got to tell us how you turned that water into wine. You better, you better tell us about that. But you know what else they saw? They saw Jesus love his mom. He didn't teach them how to love his mom or how to love their moms. They were just with him and got to see it. Jesus was the older brother. How many of y'all have older siblings? How, wouldn't you hate it if Jesus was your older brother? You, you know, you really ought to be more like Jesus. <laughs> you know there was some jealousy among his siblings. And I wonder how they took it when he says, I forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be heavy, wouldn't it? But he got to, they got to see family interact. They got to see Jesus live out his faith with his family. He was with them. And there was no mention anywhere, again, of teaching, studying the scriptures. It was just togetherness withness friends and and family what's what's missing a lot in churches is not programs like this sunday morning we come together for a worship service but it is a program okay thursday night we have a fantastic ministry and celebrate recovery it is a program we have great growth groups we have ministry teams and those things are programmed but what you you can't program is withness, this idea of, of being together. See, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus teaching, and we see him feeding 5,000, we see him serving and, and, and teaching them about serving. But also what's happening throughout the Gospels is they were just with each other, living together, seeing one another, They were just with each other. If you and I really want to be effective disciple makers, see, we exist to make disciples that love God, love people, reach the world. I mean, that is why the church exists. If we really want to do that, it, it goes beyond the small group study, and it goes beyond the step study, and it goes beyond the ministry team, it goes beyond the Sunday morning, it goes beyond Thursday night, it goes into the life of people where we invite people in to see our mess and how we handle it. Not that you're a mess, but I guarantee you, if you're not a mess, you've got a family member that's a hot mess. Amen? If we really want to be effective disciple makers, we've got to be with Jesus and with people. We've got to be with Jesus and with people, and again, when we're with people, we invite them into our lives, not to our studies, not to our growth groups, not to our events. These people that are coming to faith in Jesus, and the people maybe even sitting beside you, we invite them in to see how we live out our faith. You got to be with Jesus and, and with people. So you got to be with people, but it starts with being with Jesus. 
And what I mean by that, of course, salvation, but then it also starts with spending time with Jesus, being in his word, letting him show you his character, his kindness, his goodness, his compassion, letting him show you his will for your life. So it's being with people and it's being with Jesus. It's being with Jesus and, and with people. It's, it's, it's intimacy. But when it comes to this principle of, of with, Here's a question that, that pops up, um, and if it's not verbally asked, I can, I can see it in the countenance of the people. And here's the question. Does Jesus really want to be with me? Does Jesus really want to be with me? Have you ever thought this question? I don't think Jesus likes me very much because I don't like me very much. Or, or maybe I certainly, I constantly sin and fall short. He cannot want to be with me. Jesus has to be incredibly disappointed in me because I have a hard time believing that he wants to be with me because of me. I was reading through Psalms earlier this year. I got to Psalm 37, and Psalm 37 jumped out at me because it's not written like the rest of the Psalms. I, I could tell right away that it read more like a proverb, and it read um, sort of like the book of James at times. And so I just spent a little bit of time in, in Psalms 37 and, and listened to this description of, of the Lord. Listen to this description. He says in, in verses 23 and 24, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. The righteous. Now, we already talked about this in communion. You know how we're made righteous? We're only made righteous through Jesus Christ. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. He delights in every detail of your life. Now, don't miss this next part. Though they may stumble, and what he means there is sin. Though the righteous may stumble, though, though they may sin, they will never fall. For the Lord upholds them with his hand. I want to go back to a time maybe you sinned. I want, you to, I want you to think about a time that was um, you're most embarrassed about, you're, you're most ashamed of. And maybe it's not a one-time event. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction, whatever it may be. And, and this chair represents that place, that, that event, that, that time. Go there for a minute. What's with you? Is it a bottle? Is it someone else that's sinning along with you? Is it your phone? Is it your tablet? Is it your computer? Is it your television? Is there a drug paraphernalia around you? You know what you're doing. 
What has Jesus done? During that moment, he had you by the hand. He wasn't going to let you go. He wasn't going to let you fall away. Though you may stumble, though you may sin, you will not fall. For he upholds you with his hand. But Scott, Scott, surely he's disappointed. Surely I'm grieving him. Yes, it, our sin grieves him. Yes, our sin grieves him. Like it would any father to watch their child hurt themselves or hurt someone else. Scott, doesn't it bring about discipline? Yes, sometimes, just like any father would teach their child, hey, you don't need to be doing that. Aren't I supposed to be pursuing holiness? Yes. But when you stumble, you will not fall. The Lord upholds you with His hand. Scott, sin and Jesus cannot be in the same room. Is that right? No, that's not right. That's not right. It's not right at all. See, He will never leave you. Though you may stumble, you, you will not fall. For He holds you by the hand. Well, Scott, that's Old Testament. Well, listen to Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And listen what He says. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 37. Uh, I'm reading a book uh, called Gentle and Lowly, and he refers to another book by uh, a guy named John Bunyan. If you, that name sounds familiar, John Bunyan wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress. He also wrote a book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> just for a moment. It's just a couple of sentences. But John Bunyan's talking about this verse. John 6.37 But I am a great sinner, you say. I will in no way cast you out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner. I will in no way cast you out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner. I will in no wise cast out says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, do you say? I will in no wise cast out. But I have sinned against you, but I will in no wise cast out. That language, no wise, is not language we use today. It's like he's saying, I will not, not cast you out. I mean, it's emphatic. I will not. I'm telling you, I will not cast you out. Now, there's questions that pop up like, how does, why? 
Why, why, does, why will he hold my hand? Why won't he let me fall? I've disappointed him. I've done all these things, and I'm a repeat offender even. <clears throat> why will he never cast me out? Let's go back to the wedding in, in John chapter 2. And I alluded to this in, in, in verse 11, chapter 2, it says this. This, this turning the water into wine, was the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And he manifested his glory. He revealed his glory at this point. And it says, and his disciples believed in him. Now, now let me say, this is a big deal. Like, when it says that he manifested his glory in him, that's never been said of an Old Testament prophet. It was never said of Paul or any of the apostles in the New Testament. The only one that glory is spoken to is about God and about Jesus. It said he manifested his glory. He revealed it. What is his glory? Now, at first of it, well, they saw the miracle. He must be God. It's more than that. It's more than just seeing the miracle. See, Moses asked God, I, I want to see your, your glory. Moses had seen so many miracles. He'd even see the Red Sea split and divided, and they marched through it. Could you imagine watching that miracle and dragging your finger across a side of water? But what does Moses ask of God? Hey, can I see your glory? If you look at Exodus 33... Moses says to the Lord, then show me your glorious presence. Think about all that Moses had already seen God do. This is something different than miracles. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Now this next scripture is not on the screen, but listen to the account of what happened. So the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavished unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, I forgive rebellion, and I forgive sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Listen to the contrast. His love is lavished upon His people for thousands of generations. And generational sin, just a few. But those who come to Christ get the love lavished upon them. So why does he love us? Why did he choose to do the, the first miracle at a wedding? You know, there's so many thoughts on that. Well, he was ordaining weddings. He was saying this. Or he was, you know, it was to point to the wedding to come between Jesus and, and, the, and the church. Maybe it's because his mom asked him. Maybe it's because of who he was. Jesus is good. He's compassionate. He's full of mercy. Maybe 
Jesus turned the water into wine because he had compassion upon the situation. Because he cares about every detail of their lives. He cares about that situation. It'd be horrible. It'd be an embarrassment if they ran out of wine at the celebration. Maybe that's when the disciples saw his glory full of goodness and compassion, mercy, an unfailing love. They'd already seen a miracle. Moses had seen miracles. But now they saw Jesus' glory. And you know what? It drew their hearts to him. Their hearts saw that. And they believed in him. I saw a quote in a book titled uh, Gentle and Lowly. And, and this is not exactly how the quote goes, but the, the greatest victory that Satan maybe has had over our lives is not a particular sin or an addiction. It may be that we have too dim a view of God's love for us. Maybe we think wrongly about God and His love and His compassion and His fullness and, and in His mercy. See, many actually think that God is a God of wrath and, and God is a God of anger. But nowhere does he describe himself. Like, does he have wrath and does he have anger for those who refuse to turn? Yes. And one day every person will either face the, the mercy and compassion and unfailing love of God or they will face the wrath and punishment of God. But the Old Testament repeats itself over and over and over. Sharing the heart of God. And Nehemiah's are going back to rebuild the, the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah's going, hey, they refused to obey you. talking about the Israelites. And they did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn. They appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But listen to what he says. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in failing love. You did not abandon them. And then Jonah, we all know about Jonah, he didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. He wanted to see them destroyed. And he knew if he preached, repent, that God would forgive them. And now he's complaining to the Lord about it. And, and, and um, Jonah, he says this, so he complained to the Lord, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarsus. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And this is what he says. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. God is eager to show mercy. Will God show wrath? Yes. But to those who come to Jesus, He shows mercy and is eager to do so. I'm going to ask the band to, to come up. So I've, I've, there's several questions that were asked. You know, Scott, will you share your thoughts on discipleship? And I did. And, and the other question is, um, does Jesus want to be with me? Well, I hope my prayer has been this. That you've seen the goodness and compassion of Jesus. So the last question is this, what should I do? 
Again, every person on the face of the earth will either experience God's unfailing love, compassion, and mercy, or they'll experience His wrath. I mean, it's just going to happen. Some people say, if I could just see His glory, if I could just see His glory, then, then I would believe too. You have. His glory was revealed in Jesus. That, that sin that we're ashamed of, whether it's a one-time offense or habitual sin, the punishment for that sin, that sin, all your sins were laid upon Jesus. Every single one of them. And not yours, not just yours, but every person in the room was laid upon Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus wasn't drugged to the cross. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem knowing what was facing him. You've seen his love and compassion and mercy on the cross. We celebrated it during communion so that you would never experience the wrath of God but only His unfailing love, His mercy and compassion. So what do we do? Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Not, not going to Him going, Jesus, I know you're disappointed. Jesus, I know you, do, you can barely stand to be with me. Jesus, I, no, no. Be with Jesus because He loves you. He loves every detail of your life. He's familiar with every detail. And just enjoy the love of Jesus. Be with Jesus, but also enjoy the love of Jesus. And then rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. So today... Maybe you've had too dim a view of God's love for you. Maybe Satan has had victory in that particular area that you forgot how much he loves you. So maybe you just need to say, Lord, thank you. Or maybe you need to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've been deceived, thinking there's no way He wants anything to do with you, and then He's done with you. No, you need to just come back to Jesus. And what do you need to bring with you? Hey, you bring that sin. That's all He wants. Just hand it to Him. And what will He give you? Compassion, unfailing love, mercy. Or maybe today is the day for you to come to Jesus for the first time. To receive forgiveness, to receive the mercy, to experience compassion and unfailing love. Here's what we're going to do in just a moment. I'm going to step down. And whether you're online or, or here in the room, I want to invite you just to stand before Him and, and, and just respond however you need to. Maybe it's with gratitude and praise. But I also want to invite you to do this. I want you to pray. There's a lot of names on this cross that need to know Jesus. 
Let's not forget them. So I want to invite you to come down and, and pray. And then if you would like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be standing right, right over here. And I would love to pray with you. So church, let's just go to Jesus. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you. And you have a family at East Ridge Church.